0: This episode of Ladies Who Punt is brought to you by Inglis. Inglis has had over a century of turf champions go through their sales rings and now with their pink bonus series there has never been a better time for women to join in on the fun of racehorse
1: ownership. That's right Grace with the bonus prize money up for grabs the pink bonus series is a great initiative to get more women involved in racing making Inglis a fabulous partner to Ladies Who Punt. We can't thank them enough for supporting our podcast and the representation of women in the racing media. Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. hello and welcome to ladies who punt we are the podcast that aims to decode the sport of horse racing one topic at a time my name is fiona blair and i will be your host today my usual co-host grace ramage is away on holidays in lovely sunny europe but i'm here with you all in cold wet wintry australia to keep ladies who punt content in your ears And this week, we are marking week three halfway through my six-week interview series. Now, this week's topic is a really important one, one that I am incredibly interested and passionate about and so thrilled to be joined by a guest to learn more about, and that is equine welfare, especially post-racing. In 2019, the ABC produced a Four Corners episode titled The Dark Side of Australia's Horse Racing Industry. And for those who haven't seen it or heard of this episode, it was pretty confronting. There was some footage of horses going through an abattoir system in Queensland with a few of those horses being ex-racing thoroughbreds. The Horses were treated very poorly at this abattoir when it was all filmed, you know, undercover by the ABC. And as a result, there was quite a significant public outcry from the episode. And from what you see on the episode, you know, it's completely understandable. It's very confronting content. And, you know, the way those animals were treated at that abattoir at the time of filming was incredibly sad and disgraceful off the back of that documentary and the public outrage, Racing Victoria put together a massive funding package for the Equine Welfare Department. Now, my guest today is someone who is very well qualified in equine welfare. At the time of the release of the ABC Four Corners program, she was the general manager of Equine Welfare at Racing Victoria. Her name is Jen Krabczyk, And we actually met very serendipitously. So a few months ago, Grace and I attended the Victorian Wakeful Club Lady of Racing Awards. And I just so happened to be seated next to Jen, who was a nominee for the Lady of Racing Awards. And subsequently went on to win that award uh, that day. And it was an incredible event. And Jen and I got chatting and I was like, this is someone we need to interview on Ladies Who Punt. So I'm really thrilled to be able to bring you this interview today where Jen and I discuss her role at Racing Victoria and the strategies she implemented while she was there. And now having since left Racing Victoria, what she's up to with her own consultancy business, working with ownership groups to help them get the best welfare outcomes for their racehorses. Before we get into that chat though, guys, I have to do my housekeeping. I told you I was going to be doing it every week. So first thing we need to do is make sure that we are subscribed or following the podcast wherever we're listening. Also leave us a review while you're there. We We would love to read your thoughts on the podcast. If you haven't yet, sign up for our weekly newsletter. It's called Weekly Mail with Ladies Who Punt. It goes out every Friday morning and has a deep dive into a topic of racing, as well as some fashion content, our community black book, and our off-the-track recommendations, which have been incredibly popular so far from the feedback we've received. Lastly, what you can do is find us on socials. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So follow us there for further updates and extra content. Okay, guys, now the housekeeping is done. Let's go straight into the interview with Jen.
0: Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues
1: Jen, I'm so excited to have you on today. We met at the Wakeful Club's Lady of Racing Awards, where I very randomly was sitting next to you and you ended up winning the Lady of Racing Award for 2023. Congratulations. And you won that award because of all of your work in the area of equine welfare. So that's what we've got you on to chat about today. So thank you for being on the podcast.
0: Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, that was an awesome day. The Wakeful Club do an incredible job uh, recognizing women throughout the year, and I felt so special on the day and having you on my table was an added bonus. And we also had Penny Penfold, who was crowned the spirit of racing. Mm,
1: Yeah, it was such a good day. And yeah, fabulous table of ladies. I think we'll have a few of them on the podcast, no doubt, in the future. Now, I want to talk to you about your work specifically while you were at Racing Victoria, where you were the general manager of Equine Welfare. Tell me about how you came into that role.
0: Yeah, so it's a it could be quite a long story but um, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it short. I was in I, in racing across uh, British horse racing and Victorian racing for 16 years in total. I My degree was a, initially equine sports science and from there I graduated into a graduate program at British horse racing and they placed me in the integrity department So I was a little disappointed uh, that they placed me in integrity at the beginning. I didn't really understand why, because I thought I wanted a more practical horse facing role. Uh, But, you know, I think within six to 12 months, I realized that I was in the right space because integrity was where uh, we had the policies and the processes where we could protect the welfare of the horse, whether that be through the anti-doping, through the licensing processes, through the welfare investigations so it was, my most of my career actually prior to my my welfare role was in an integrity space and about 10 years into my career, the equine welfare role came up at Racing Victoria and it was the right place and the right time for me. Uh, these roles had previously been uh, all held by vets and there was a new sort of focus on a sort of project manager type role with a more of a animal welfare science focus. Um, so yeah, so that's that's the the, sh- the short version of, of me getting into that GM role at Racing Victoria.
1: And you were in that role at a really pivotal time uh, for the industry. So in 2019, the ABC Four Corners documentary that was titled The Dark Side of Australia's Horse Racing Industry came out and it caused a bit of public uproar because of the content in it. Could you describe to our listeners who haven't seen or heard of this documentary what the subject matter was that caused the public uproar?
0: Yeah well it was some pretty disturbing footage of horses at a neckery in Queensland and uh, well the particular focus for our industry was the thoroughbreds involved and there were a couple of angles um, one being the treatment of the horses you know that was actually illegal treatment of the horses by the people in the facility and then also the the idea that there were retiring thoroughbreds going to Macquarie's, um, and being treated in that way.
1: Yeah so the, I guess the public outcry is you know why are these animals that are bred for racing you know and essentially for human entertainment why do they end up here at the at the end of their lives and the two angles are really important because you know the abattoir system in my personal opinion provides a service and I think we need to create a you know environment a supportive environment for those who are working at the abattoirs and education so that all animals horses cows sheep pigs that end up there chickens are treated with respect and dignity and I think that's a really important conversation that we as a whole society should definitely be having and then of course the angle of of the horses and and how they ended up there now this documentary sort of triggered a chain of events tell me for Racing Victoria tell me about how your role and team changed post this Documentary,
0: yeah. So I had been in the role of equine welfare for coming up to twelve months when the documentary aired, and in that previous twelve months, it had been myself and one other person in the team, and we um, worked on, you know, in consultation with the broader industry, a strategic plan for equine welfare over the coming three years. And that was it's not widely known, but that was actually endorsed in the July before the documentary and uh, you know on reflection i'm not sure who i thought was going to deliver half of what was in that plan because it was uh pretty um it had lots of high hopes um and when when the documentary happened there within a couple of months the racing victoria board committed a, million over the next three years to expedite that plan with a focus on post-racing and traceability. So with that, that's what enabled the growth of the team from two to seven. In fact, we had had our third team member ready to start the week after uh, the documentary aired, and we had to give her a call and just check that she was still going to come. And that, that person is now the current uh, general manager for Equine Welfare, Melissa Ware. So we're very pleased that she did she did come. Yeah, so we the, the team grew to seven um, and then the focus was on post-racing.
1: Yes, and I want to quiz you about the framework that you put in place while you were at Racing Victoria. From my knowledge, it's a lettering system, A, B, C, D, and E. Can you take us through those different steps of, you know, classifying horses post-racing?
0: Yeah, so we we came up with the idea of categorizing horses just to really enable the conversations around, A, building the programs, and also being able to have a conversation with um, owners um, and trainers about where their horse fit in the framework and what the, was the most appropriate program. It just it really aided the conversation. And the way that we describe them is that you, horses... Retiring from racing can be a sliding scale, with uh, depending on the different uh, factors uh, relating to them. You know whether it's their age, their sex, their success to that date, Um, and category A horses were sort of the super desirable horses. They're physically, mentally sound, and um, possibly even will be sought out and purchased by equestrians uh, for their for. their activities and and i think it's not necessarily widely known but the acknowledge retrainer network are not always paid for their services so when they select a horse they have to know that they're going to be able to retrain that horse and and at least make some of their money back and i know they don't always make the money back but but what we acknowledge in that process is that generally um when the acknowledge retrainer takes on one of those horses without being paid they fall into that category a category and then we've got the category b horses that are physically sound but just not super desirable and this is probably the really interesting one that we figured out over time is that there are a group of horses that will retire and on paper there's no there's nothing stopping them having a second career but no one's picking them up and it might be because they're a little bit older it might be that they're not very flash. Um, they're just another bay horse. I've got two bays, so I've got nothing against them. But I, you know, be. they're just not catching <laughs> people's um, attention. Eyes. yeah. <laughs>
1: they're
0: not. They're not Chautauqua. <laughs> no, they're not Chautauqua. And yes, um, <laughs> so they so the bay horses fall into the reset program, and that's where Racing Victoria funds the retraining. And so that's the the idea of you. Um, they're incentivizing people to take on those horses for retraining and therefore giving them a leg up to their next career. And then the next category down, category C horses, um, of a temporary uh, physical issue that will, with a bit of time or rehab, they can then become a category B or a C horse and then go into the the funded retraining. Or even after rehab, they might become... um, super desirable and someone will buy that horse uh for their for their own purposes and then the next category down uh is category d and those horses are mentally sound but not physically sound and and not likely to be physically sound enough to have a meaningful um second career Um, and that's probably one of the more challenging spots uh because we're uh what do you do with those horses and, and and very early doors we that was what kept stumping us and thinking we well, you know, this 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 can you know, this blows the whole thing up it just won't work if if all the horses are category d it just like we it can it's not sustainable and where we came around to and over time we were proven right is that there aren't many horses in that category uh so it's not like you you don't need you know, fields upon fields upon fields for these companion style horses. Um, and so also, these are the horses other that,
1: sorry, Jen, these are horses that are physically like unable to be ridden, so they just spend their days in the paddock as like professional lawn mowers, which is not a bad way to live out your life.
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. And my, my two aren't far off that right now. <laughs> Mine's like so, that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, So yeah, exactly. Um, And the other piece of the puzzle there that gave us confidence is that there are things you can do that limit the number of horses that retire in that category D. So it's within the industry's control to make sure that the majority of horses are retiring in that category A to C. Um, so that that kind of gave us a, um, a little bit of confidence around the framework and then the last uh, category that we talked about is the category e which are the horses that are physically or behaviourally or mentally unsound um, and not going to have um the have good prospects for uh, even a, a retirement in a paddock whether that's for safety reasons or for their own welfare and that's where racing Vic have got their on-site humane euthanasia program so it's acknowledging that there are some horses where euthanasia is the right welfare outcome for them but in those circumstances racing victoria's position and i support it is that 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 should be done at home so um euthanasia at home and that's that's a funded program involving vets um, and neckeries and that the, the criteria that means that the horse either has to have a veterinary certificate stating that the horse is behaviourally unsound or um, physically unsound. Um, this, the owner could also sign off a declaration that the horse is behaviourally unsound. And then there's also an avenue for horses that have had two failed rehoming attempts. And one of those rehoming attempts has to be via Racing Victoria's programme and, and framework and in the time that I was there, no horse um, entered the euthanasia program because they couldn't be rehomed because if you think about all those categories and all those different options and um, a team of seven. It was a home for everyone. Yeah.
1: And so just to be clear, like using my own horse hypothetically, like say, I mean, let's touch with this, doesn't happen, but say my horse, Jack and Obey, lives at home with me, ex horse. Uh, this is his first home since he retired. Say he sustained a paddock injury that was not going to be able to be healed or fixed in a way that he was going to live a comfortable life. Can I access that euthanasia program for him or is it just for like racing stables or, um, you know, professional operations?
0: Yeah, so it's for all um, horses with a tie to Victorian racing, so whether that's bred, in the state, retired in the state, trained in the state. It's a a lot, most of the framework is built around preventing poor welfare outcomes. So it's not about having barriers to which horses can access the programs. It's about preventing um, them falling into poor situations.
1: Well, that's really positive. And I guess this euthanasia program is the exact, you know, solution to what, was causing all the upset from the abc four corners program where people didn't have access to a humane way to euthanize their horse and so the knackery the abattoirs was their only option and i think it's great that racing victoria for you know racehorses that we have that program so that people do have an option they don't have to make that tough decision that awful decision to have to send their horse off to an abattoir they can have their horse humanely euthanized at home i think that's fantastic and yeah really great work so thank you so much for explaining that framework to me because now you are on the other side of it aren't you so you've left racing victoria 12 months ago and you now have your own equine welfare consultancy business so first you're at racing victoria developing the framework and now you're on the other side helping ownership groups implement this framework so i guess the first thing i want to talk to you about is the responsibility that owners have to their racehorse in terms of their post-racing life because you know when people own a racehorse like it's not like when they own their their dog or their cat, where they see their dog and their cat every day. They, you know, interact with it every day. Some people who own a racehorse may never see that horse in their life, yet it is their horse that they own. And so the responsibility of their, you know, post-racing life and all of their, their welfare outcomes during the time that they own that horse is on them. So talk to me about ownership responsibility and then how you are facilitating ownership groups with that responsibility, I guess.
0: Yeah, so um, it was something we we thought about a lot when we were developing the framework. In reality, you're right. um, Owners are responsible for their horse, but they maybe don't always see it like that. There's a slight conflict with trying to bring new owners into the industry and it's really easy. It's really fun. You have a great time. There's nothing to worry about, uh, but also letting them understand that this is an animal um, and the horse over the average age of retirement is five they can live to 30 there's a whole life after racing that you need to be thinking about but equally it's not terrifying and there's frameworks in place and actually the majority of horses have really good post racing uh, prospects and being able to um, have those conversations confidently with don't be frightened to tell owners that actually being an owner brings it with the responsibility but that's great because you own an animal and animals are great and there's so much more than race days and um, and you, you can see the joy that people who do get to go and meet their horse um, that it brings and yeah so what I've realized since leaving uh, Racing Victoria is that there are, well, in fact, I knew this anyway, but the majority of owners want to do the responsible thing, but sometimes, and and actually a large proportion of them do know what to do. And and there's actually a number of syndicates have got dedicated people for that uh, purpose and already have existing relationships with retrainers. But there are some... um, groups that are larger ownership groups that i've been working with and they yes the framework's there but they don't necessarily have the skills or the networks in-house uh to to put that into action and the first conversation i had i sort of said well you know you just do this this and this and there was a bit of silence for you know a few weeks and then they came back to me and said well I you know, uh, we don't know how um and I, I, I realized that actually there it's not just a case of throwing out the framework and hope and telling people to action it there is there is a requirement to sort of support um ownership groups through the process
1: like a a learning process for them
0: absolutely On
1: how to use the framework i guess and you know who to contact and who to access to help their horse Post racing, and it's great that you've identified that that it's something that people need to be taught. And once they've done it once or twice, they're probably very capable of doing it on their own going forward. Yeah,
0: for sure. And and it's building confidence in their own decision making ability. If you've if they've sort of historically the relationship's been at arm's length from the horse in its day to day life, they maybe won't feel confident in making um, the decision in relation to their transition and post racing. Um, so what, working through that with them and, and w- what are the things that are important to consider and that also sort of extends to some other things that I've been working um, with different people on is the how do they find their barometer for what what is their ownership group what is their organisation what do they stand for and they've obviously chosen to be a part of this industry and there are reasons um, and and that they have that they're comfortable with being a part of this industry so how do they form a position as an organization and then communicate them also if they can identify things that they can see an improvement in and things that are within their control and things that they're maybe not directly within their control um but they can influence um, and how can they start to be part of the conversation so, Things like that are within their control. Um, the the trainers that they um, engage. What are their um, regimes that promote positive post racing um, outcomes? Uh, what and what can they learn from those trainers to ensure that the that as many horses as possible have the best uh, post racing outcomes.
1: My final question for you, with all of your expertise, if you were the owner of a racehorse looking to send that horse to a trainer, what are the things that you would be looking for that would signify to you that this trainer has a holistic view of this horse, not just as a racehorse, but as as an animal who's going to have a very long life once racing's finished? What are the things you're looking for in a trainer?
0: Yeah, so... um In those initial conversations having the trainer acknowledge that the racing career is the first career of many and also the fact that every decision made from day to day to which races to their preparation will actually impact on their post racing um options as well and one of the like one of the key things for me is education um i strongly believe that good horses will find good homes. But it goes for any animal as well. I think um, animals that are well educated are a pleasure to be around. Um, animals that have been handled appropriately throughout their life generally have good temperaments and those horses will find um, find good homes. So it's all around the, the handling of the horses from day one, the education uh, before racing, During their downtime, maybe some cross-training with a little bit of flat work, some dressage. I know some trainers let their horses go out to uh, riding club rallies or even trail riding um, during their holidays. And then in the same vein, appropriate spelling practices. Racing Victoria's veterinary team have got uh, some really good research uh, around spelling practices for prevention of injury. Um, and I think that's something that's really important for trainers to be across as well. Um, and probably the final thing is around management and understanding the horse's overall needs. Um, looking at the, the five domains welfare model um, from the horse's uh, yeah, physical and mental needs and behavioral throughout their training life.
1: Well, Jean, it's been fabulous to chat to you today I just want to say thank you for all of the work you've done in this space because it's so important to our horses and so important to our industry. So thank you for championing this area. And, you know, I know that you've dedicated so much of yourself to it, um, especially during that time at Racing Victoria. I know it was very intensive for you. So thank you for that, for for your work and your commitment and secondly thank you for being on the podcast today it's been great to be able to chat to you and pick your brain about
0: this stuff thank you very much I really appreciate getting the opportunity to talk about it Um, and thank you for your insightful questions
1: How good was that interview with Jen? I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. I loved quizzing Jen about all of her work. She's such a trailblazer in this industry, such a hardworking, passionate woman who has just, left her mark on this industry for the better. And I think she's made an incredible legacy for herself and she's still got plenty left to do, I'm sure. She's incredibly ambitious and driven to make further progress in this area. And we can't wait to see what she does with her consultancy business. It's such a great idea to have someone who can help ownership groups with the practicalities of moving their horse on from a career in racing to their second or third careers off the track. So she has done a fantastic service to our industry and continues to do so. And yeah, just so honored to have her on and to have her chatting with me. For anyone after more information on welfare and on what the life of a racehorse is like, I would really encourage you to head over to the Kick Up for Racing website. It's an incredible resource that delivers really interesting and factual information in a very easy and digestible way. So that's something I would definitely check out. Now we will be taking a break next week so no episode next week but I will be back the following week with the final three of my interview series for Ladies Who Punk before Grace joins me back in the studio ahead of the spring. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will catch you in a couple of weeks.